And welcome to Slasher Street Podcast. My name is Ryan Devlin, and thank you so much for joining me once again. This is a horror movie podcast where each episode I will be reviewing and discussing in detail a different horror movie from our epic collection here at the house. Just one man sitting on his own talking about his love of horror films. And I hope you're all having an awesome week. And uh, welcome to the show. Now, before we get into this week's show, just a little bit of housekeeping as we always do but this week was actually a very special week for the podcast because i think it was on monday it's either monday or sunday one of the two i can't remember i think it was monday when i checked you know i looked i logged in and checked but on monday we surpassed the 2000 total plays mark uh, for the podcast which i'm absolutely chuffed with so thank you to each and every single one of you who has you know been tuning in week in week out or you know bi-weekly week out week out whenever we can get these shows out whatever it is but thank you to every single person out there who's been listening to this podcast because you know we st- I started this back in was it february march last year kind of time and it was really just something for me a bit of fun um to do in my rare spare time i don't get a lot of spare time especially with my little one and everything working full time obviously promoting events but when covid hit and events stopped i had a little bit of time on my hands so you know i just thought i'll get my views out there on horror movies big horror movie fan and um yeah i didn't expect any listeners whatsoever to be honest with you i mean i I kind of said when i started it that even if only if 10 people listened to it each week um i would be absolutely over the moon with that and really i kind of said to myself at the start because i'm kind of the person that when i go to do something i have to give it 110 percent. i can't just go into something and half-ass it which is the reason why uh, we haven't actually or i haven't actually started the youtube channel that i kind of half teased uh probably what six months ago now uh, and the reason that i haven't done that is because i can't put my full energy and effort into it if i want to do something i have to give it 110 percent. i have to fully commit I have to go in deep so you know it's just the way i am it's just a strange um ocd that i have i can't half ass anything so you know anyway um yeah when i started this if i said i got 10 listeners i would have been well chuffed but i kind of also said to myself that even if nobody listens even if you're just recording these episodes on your own and throwing them out there for the world to listen to and nobody listens not one person reviews it not one person tunes in will you still want to do it you know you've got to be in that mindset you don't give up after a few weeks just carry on going and uh, i kind of said to myself that even if nobody listens ever even a year down the line if i still have nobody listening nobody reviewing then i would still do it because i want to have my thoughts out there and you know i'm a big fan of horror podcasts such as dead meat uh, straight chilling all of those good ones i really like every horror movie on netflix also i'm big youtube uh, youtube horror movie review fan you know things like bloodbath and beyond cinema sinister cinema you know uh, drum dums cody leach all those guys and uh, you know i just thought well if those guys are putting their opinions out there it's so much fun i want to get involved and i want to do my own spin on things which is what led to this podcast so anyway i'm rabbiting on here and you know i just want to say thank you to everyone over 2000 listeners now 
There's been 37 episodes now. I think it's just, this is episode 37 officially, but I think we have had 37 episodes out there because of the we did the Clive Tongue interview, which I didn't really class as an episode. So, But whatever, there's 37 out there at the moment. Uh, and I, I made sure that the counter went over 2037 before I classed it as a listen because I listen to every single one back and again that's just part of my OCD that whatever it is I always listen to it back the next day as soon as I upload it onto iTunes or to Spotify I always listen to it back so I know that one listen per week on my numbers is actually me Um, so I had to get it to 2037 before I classed it as over 2000 so as I say we're averaging about 55 people per episode which is absolutely awesome but some episodes have way more listeners than that and some have less you know it all depends on the movie which again i completely understand because i as i say i'm a big horror movie review uh podcast fan and not just that but any other film podcast you know i really am a fan of love Jarrett goes to the movies the bowling for soup uh podcast and if they're doing a movie that i don't really like or don't care about i'm probably not going to listen to it so i completely understand why some have really big listen high listens and some have really low listens it's just the way it is when you're reviewing movies because it's different strokes for different folks not everybody likes the same movies so that's just the way it is but anyway rabbited on a bit much there but to sum up just thank you so much to everyone who's tuning in and i hope you're enjoying the shows if you have a movie you want me to review as well please do get in touch and i'll be glad to do it i will be glad to do it which leads me on to this week's show because this is one of the most requested movies i think i've ever had i mean we get the odd one i think you know some people when we did return the living dead that was requested by one or two people killer clowns was requested Um, But this one seems to get requested the most. I've had literally probably five or six messages onto the page, uh, onto the Slasher Street podcast Facebook page. Plus, as well, people who know me personally who have asked me to do this movie. So, it has to be done. So, to kick off 2021, it's the first episode of the new year. Not counting the one that came out on New Year's Day, because I'm saying that one was the last one of 2020. Because that was a Christmas special. That wasn't a 2021 episode, even though it came out on New Year's Day. So, this is the first episode of 2021. So, let's get it out there. And this week on the show, we're going to be talking about the 1983 Slasher Class. Classic, which I seem to be saying all the time at the moment, slasher classics. I was really, really self-conscious of the fact that for a good while on the podcast, probably episodes 15 through to 21, say, I was very, very conscious that we weren't doing many slasher movies, especially when the mo- the word slasher is in the podcast title. I was very, very self-conscious about that fact. Um, so... I've really started to build up that slasher review library and it's got to carry on definitely over the next load of weeks. We're going to carry on with the slasher trend because slashers are my favourite type of horror movie. So it's only fair. That's why this podcast is named Slasher Street Podcast, even though we don't do slashers every week. But we are going to focus on slashers for a good while, I must say, and I will get a really good catalogue of my favourite slashers out there. So anyway, uh, this week we're going to be talking about the 1983 slasher classic, Sleep Away Camp. This movie, man, it has... It is a classic, it is a, with with slasher movie fans, there are certain movies out there, you know, you know you're a slasher fan when you know 
this movie, I think, because the slashers out there, you know, the Nightmare on Elm Street, the Friday the 13th, the Halloweens, um, all of those good things, Child's Play, the big, big franchises. But there are certain movies out there that just don't get a look in. And we did we did one called The you know the Burden, which is an absolute classic, and Sleepaway Camp. Those, for me, those two movies are the biggest slasher movies never to make it big. It's such a strange thing because... If you're a horror movie fan, everybody knows what Sleepaway Camp is. Everybody knows what The Burning is. But the general public outside don't really know what that is. So um, so it's just a, it's a weird, really weird thing. But this movie, man, it is complete cheese. It's got hammy acting. And like the first time I watched Sleepaway Camp, I was like, um, oh my God, this is terrible. Like, the acting is terrible, even for a slasher movie. The acting in this movie is not good whatsoever. Um, But that, the more you watch this movie, the more that just adds to the charm of things, in my opinion. (laughs) I think if you watch a slasher movie for the acting, you're watching the wrong style of movie because (laughs) most slasher movies have questionable acting. But this one... We'll get into it, man. We'll get into it. Yeah, these there is some really hammy acting in this. Uh, really cool kills. Not all of them are cool. Some of them are really a bit weak, but then the reveal of them is cool. So, you know, you get an extra point for that, even though it's maybe off screen or you think, oh, that was a bit weak. The actual, you know, reveal of what happens to the victim are super cool. Great effects. Great effects in this movie, especially for the budget, which we're going to talk about. But yeah, and obviously one hell of an ending, which is really the reason this movie is as popular as it is, is because of the ending, which again, we're going to get into in super, super detail here. Now, I do really enjoy the Sleepaway Camp franchise. I'll just hold my hands up right now and say, well, the first three. <laughs> Sleepaway, one, Sleepaway Camp 1, 2, and 3 are awesome. Return to Sleepaway Camp is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. But uh, even that one, in a strange way, when Felicia Rose came back and a load of the original cast came back, the guy who plays Ronnie in this came back for that movie... Uh, the guy who plays Ricky came back for that movie. So it was like it was like um, it was kind of like just a bit of fun for me. But as terrible as that movie is, and it's honestly one of the worst movies ever made, in my opinion. If you actually listen to the episode that we did, uh, where I went through my favorite horror movies every year for the for my whole life, I think it was like ten episodes ago, maybe a bit longer. I mentioned Return to Sleepaway Camp because I was it was one of the movies. I think it was like 2004. I could be completely wrong. It might have even it could have been 2000. It, it was in the 2000s. It was really not that long ago. Uh, and it's awful, man. It, it really is awful. And it's such a shame because, you know, um, it had so much potential to do something pretty good. And it ignores two and three. So I kind of feel like this franchise... It's a very strange franchise because the first movie is this one that we're going to talk about today is so different to parts two and three. And then you've got Return to Sleepaway Camp, which ignores two and three and picks up where pretty much it's a direct sequel to the original Sleepaway Camp. So I almost feel like parts two and three are set in their own alternative universe based on the events of this movie because... Um, is it Pamela's Pamela Springsteen plays Angela in 
parts two and three, and she plays a completely different Angela in 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 that in those two movies compared to what we see in this movie and compared to what we see in uh, Sleepaway Return to Sleepaway Camp. So it's it's um, just I feel like the events of this movie did happen, but maybe in a different way, if that makes sense. Because yeah, I mean. Pamela Springsteen's performance as Angela, it's it's not the same character as what Felicia Rose plays. Absolutely. No way you tell me that that character, it's the same name and it has the same backstory, but it's not the same character. No way at all. The tone as well. The tone of parts two and three are so much different. It's just, uh, it's very much more on the comedic side. So although this film does have comedic elements to it, two and three are horror comedies. But I will put this out there right now that part two, Sleepaway Camp 2, in my opinion, is one of the greatest slasher movies ever made. It's fucking awesome it's absolutely incredible and we're going to be talking sleepaway camp 2 next week so i'm not going to talk too much about that now because i'm going to get into that one next week um but yeah sleepaway camp 2 for me is one of the and it is my favorite in the franchise so you know as you'll see as we go through this this episode but sleepaway camp 2 for me is absolutely fucking incredible absolutely awesome slasher movie but we're gonna get into that next week now as we always do i just this is a bit of a strange film because of the ending so i'm gonna say right now spoilers on i don't normally give a spoiler warning unless i'm doing a relatively modern movie but this came out in 1983 it's nearly 40 years old or 50 years old no 40 40 (laughs) 40 years old in two years time so I'm giving a spoiler warning right now because if you haven't seen this movie before, I would urge you to go and watch it now before you listen any further because um, I feel like you need to watch this movie not knowing what happens in the ending because if you know what happens in the ending, it does kind of spoil the whole vibe of the atmosphere and the who done it kind of factor. And obviously the ending is one of the most shocking endings in in horror movies i mean even to by today's standards the ending is incredibly shocking so yeah go and watch it spoiler review right now coming up because we can't really go any further in this in this show without talking spoilers so you know here we go so now before we get going on to the actual movie itself let's start where all good movies end the ending (laughs) um now one thing i always like to think to myself is how would this movie do if it wasn't for the ending? If you take away the ending of this movie, would this movie still be classed as a slasher classic? Would it still hold up to this day? Would people still talk about it? Or would it be, you know, just a forgotten slasher movie? Kind of like, um, you know, like The Edge of the Axe and, um, you know, random, random old 80s, slasher movies that no one really ever talks about well it's a tough one because there is some great effects in this movie but i think it definitely lives on the ending unfortunately and it's you know it's one of those things where um i have to say it would it wouldn't be i don't think this movie would hold up today i don't think it would have the fan base if it wasn't for the ending and the ending is literally 
five seconds and you're like holy shit well I know maybe a minute it's about a minute because you get that flashback and everything but yeah it's a one of those where the ending makes this movie 100% worth watching and I say even by today's standards it's one of the most shocking scenes in in all movies not just horror movies but all movies um absolutely 100% and also how many people out there it's an interesting question because it you know anyone who hasn't seen this movie how many people in general watched this movie for the first time without knowing what happened in the ending i've kind of hopefully turned people away now who haven't watched this movie but how many of you watched this movie without knowing the ending and i didn't know the ending i watched this movie for the first time when i watched it for the first time i watched it not knowing anything about the end i knew something was going to happen at the ending because obviously in groups and stuff like that online people are like Oh, the ending of Sleepaway Camp. And it was a one it's actually quite a well-kept secret online. Because even during spoiler discussions and things like that, people are generally quite good on forums and on on groups and, and, and stuff like that where they don't outright tell you the ending of Sleepaway Camp. Unless it's in like some sort of random meme or something like that. Nobody generally talks about it because it's such a fucking crazy ending that people don't want to spoil it for anyone so it's fair play really but it's one of those where you watch that ending and you're like fuck man (laughs) especially when angela in this movie is i think she's meant to be 13 i think felicia rose was 13 when she made this movie uh and obviously the weird thing about this movie is that a lot of like the actors are kids like there are some adults as well don't get me wrong but a lot of the actors and a lot of the main characters in this movie are actual kids um so that again makes a lot of these scenes even more shocking where they're playing 13 14 15 year olds and you're like fucking hell man this really really pushes the envelope even by today's standards now if this movie came out today jesus christ man if this movie came out today, I I don't know what kind of reaction it would get. And I this actually brings it round to the discussion that we had last week last week, it was two weeks ago now, on Silent Night, Deadly Night, where all these parents came out and were, you know, boycotting the movie because it had um a killer Santa. Something fucking ridiculous as that. It was a Christmas fucking horror movie. But if this movie came out today with the because Angela, let's just get into it. Let's just get into it. Angela is a boy, but she, like, she was like six or seven when she got turned into a girl by her aunt. So does she know, or he? Does he know? Like, because it's one thing in today's standards where you know, if you're an eight, if you're a fifteen year old boy or a thirteen year old boy, or in this case, I think he was probably when he went to move in with his aunt, he was probably, what, maybe seven? Seven-ish? Say he was seven. I don't know. And then he got turned into a girl forcefully by his aunt. Essentially, he is still a boy. Um, It's not his choice to turn into a girl, even though 
he is seems to be fine with it throughout the whole movie and puts on a great performance, even because Felicia Rose is a girl. She puts on a great performance as a girl, but deep into the character, she's still a boy. And it's not like that choice was his to make. So if it was his choice to make and he, you know, he wanted to be transgender, that's completely fine. Completely cool. And I think that kind of is what people would be more accepting of in today's world. But this is kind of trans rape? I don't know if that's the word I want to use. Probably not, but he's essentially being forced to be trans. And he's a boy. He's going along with it, and that's fine. Seems like I mean he's fucked up completely. You <laughs> know. Hey Angela, why are you so fucked up? Probably because she's not called Angela and it's a boy and he doesn't know um what how to react to this. He's essentially being forced to be turned into a girl. It's messed up and you know i just think by today's standards that would be a really really tough subject to to talk about and to put into a film especially the ending when you've got the whole fucking poor like kids willy hanging out you know like after killing a load of people 13 year old willy on screen just flapping about the breeze it's just like this wouldn't be allowed in today's standards i think that's probably why it, people still get shocked by this this film because it is it's such a shocking film it's i don't know it's it, it's just worth exploring i think because did like i can't remember what the what the kid was called actually before it was angela but does he because an interesting thing as well is that and i'm kind of going off on tangents here i know i'm rabbiting on but it's interesting because when we have that flashback, uh, it's at the end of the film. We're going to talk about the film. We're going to go blow by blow in this movie. Do not worry, as we always do. But I just think this is a really interesting topic that at the end, when we have the flashback uh, and the aunt... Is it Aunt Lydia? No, Aunt Lydia's on The Handmaid's Tale. Fucking hell, man. What are you talking about? Uh, it's the aunt, whatever she's called. Um, the boy who then turns into being Angela has been in an accident in the boat accident as we go into and he's got kind of like bandages all over his head and has he had a brain injury does he not remember who he is and then the aunt has taken that step to then think no you're a girl now and he's like all right well i don't remember who i am so my name's angela and i'm a girl even though i've got a willy you know he's still 13 in this movie where we pick up so angela is 13 in camp which you know at 13 you kind of know things, but you don't really know things, do you? You know, you're not. You think like when you're a boy, you know, and a girl, I suppose. You think you're experts in like genitalia and sex and stuff like that, and you actually know jack shit. You know, let's just people who they say at that age they know stuff. They don't. They're bullshitting completely. So even though he's a girl and has a willy, he probably doesn't really care or know. He doesn't know any different. He's a girl. But he has his parts down there. So he... It's such a... And I presume that she maybe gets homeschooled by the aunt as well. That's not really explored. So maybe sexual education isn't in there. But Ricky the cousin... Does Ricky know that this is a boy? Or does he just... Because they're about the same age. So surely Ricky knew his cousins... Because it's the aunt's brother who dies early on. So surely Ricky, being the cousin, knows that this is actually the boy cousin 
Or does he? Or did the ant hide Angela away for however long till she grew hair and said, "Oh no, this is your cousin. You haven't seen her in five years, but this is your girl cousin." He's like, "Oh yeah, that's fine." So you know, there's so much fucked up stuff going on here that is such a backstory that's not really explored as to how fucked up this is, this movie, and how this whole premise is so fucked up. Um, and yes, in Sleepaway Camp two and three, we completely take this in a a much more comedic and much more hilarious fashion, uh, which kind of is great. It's a really light tone, but this movie is such a serious. To- when you dig deep into all of this, it's such a serious topic. And would this movie get released today? I I don't know if it would. I think there'd be so much... People are so accepting of things these days, but this kind of thing, it's such a difficult one. It's so difficult because it's not through choice. And that's the thing. Everyone is entitled to be who they want to be. Whatever makes you happy, through choice, brilliant. If you're a boy and you want to be a girl... You go right ahead. If you're, a, if you're a girl and you want to be a boy, and that's who you really are, go right ahead. Whatever makes you happy is perfectly acceptable and fine with the world we live in today. But if you're a boy and the aunt forces you to be a girl when you don't want to change sex, that's a difficult thing. That's the difficult topic that isn't explained in this movie and racks my brains every time i watch this movie man it racks my brains and obviously angela he she whatever you want to say is so fucked up in this movie from being turned into a girl by her aunt that she goes on and kills everybody so and not just kills everybody but kills people brutally and kills kids in this movie little kids so that kind of answers my question that you know is she there in the head is she you know is she accepting of this no no she isn't because she's so fucked up that she goes and kills everyone quite brutally yeah all these people as well in the movie they're mean to angela so they kind of she kind of has a motive to kill them but you know if someone's mean to you that's the way of life you don't go out and kill them all and some of them are mean really bad and some of them aren't like the guy one of the guys who gets killed he just throws a water balloon at her um and the kids and this is and we're going to get into these ones as well but when the kids get killed i've seen reviews and videos say what did the kids do to her well there is a scene in this movie where the kids uh it's after angela gets thrown into the into the river into the lake by um judy and mel and oh mel sorry meg uh not mel mel's the the camp owner but yeah when when angela gets thrown into the lake and she comes back out and Ronnie kind of helps her and Ricky helps her and all that kind of stuff. The little kids, you ha- it's a literally, it's a blink and you miss it thing. It's something that I've noticed though. It's a blink and you miss it thing, but she's already traumatized at the fact that she'd been thrown in the lake. And then these little kids are laughing at her and kicking sand in her face and kicking sand at her. And that is enough for her to go and brutally kill the kids in their sleeping bags. So although people say, what did the kids do? Yes, they didn't do anything, really. But by ki- by kicking, essentially kicking her when she's down and throwing sand in her face, that was enough. That was enough for Angela to flip and go, I'm going to stab the fuck out of you in your sleeping bags. That's how fucked up this character is, man. So, yeah. Anyway, that's 
But I just thought that was an interesting thing to just dive into before we get into the blow-by-blow uh, blow of the movie. And holy shit, I have talked a long time and not even gone into much about the actual fucking movie. I suppose that delved in deep to the movie, though, so fair enough. Uh, so let's get into a bit of info. So the movie was released on the 18th of November 1983 with a budget of just $350,000. So even for 1983, that's a very low budget. Um, and it grossed a total of $11 million in the US. So that's got to be... That's going to make it really one of the most successful slasher movies of the entire decade. Like, in terms of finances and how much money this made it has to be one of the most successful movies it's just that's an insane i think that's what what is that is like 300 is that till so 10 times that would be 10 times 350,000 would be 3.5 million so 6 3 that's like 35 37 times its budget it made back that's insane for a slasher movie, that's insane. Um, the movie was written and directed by Robert Hiltzig. I don't know if I've pronounced that right. Who, unfortunately, really didn't do anything else after this movie. Uh, which is a surprise, based on how fucking successful this movie was and how popular... I mean, I don't know how popular it was in the 80s when it came out. Well, it clearly was quite popular because it made $11 million, but... After that, how successful was it? Because I don't think he did parts two and three. Uh, I think they used just... I think he was credited because they used, like, his character of Angela, even though it was a totally different character in the end. Um, <clears throat> he did return to Sleepaway Camp, which, as I've said, is fucking awful. Um, but he, so he really did two movies. Sleepaway Camp, which was great. Return to Sleepaway Camp, which wasn't. Uh, the movie stars Felicia Rose as Angela Baker. She is a scream queen. She, Angela, like, Felicia Rose, she's actually going to hopefully be at For the Love of Horror in October uh, in Manchester. She's a great guest. And she's super cheap to go and meet. Like, literally, she's one of the cheapest guests on the whole bill in terms of how much it would cost to, you know, get a photograph with her or get an autograph. Like Some of them are like 80, 90, 100 pound kind of thing for an autograph or a photo. She's like 20 quid, 20 pounds. And I think, she, like, Felicia Rose has a great reputation of being, like, a horror convention Icon, in a sense, she loves going to horror conventions. Even during this pandemic, I've seen people on, like, Killer Flicks and other horror groups who have gone to horror conventions in the US because everything's shut down in the UK. Like, no events have happened since March. No gigs, no events, no conventions. But in the US, um, I think conventions have still been going on, as dangerous as that is. Crazy America. <laughs> this is a crazy, crazy place. But uh, conventions have still been happening there. And uh, I've seen people meet Felicia Rose. And, you know, I think even during a fucking pandemic, she's like going to meet fans and getting, getting photographs taken. It's like, what a great, great person. So I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really, and hopefully, I think it will go ahead. I think in October, the world might be back to normal by then. I hope so, anyway. We've got a Disneyland Paris trip booked for October. And then the week after we get back is for, that, for the Love of Horror Convention. So, fucking October, man. I'm kind of aiming for May, June. If May, June time, we're back to normal, that'd be great. But 
I hold thy breath. Um, but yeah, she's like a, a real sweetheart and she's just like been in a ton of low-budget horrors. She just loves horror movies. And she's actually going to be in Terrifier 2, I saw the other day. So how awesome is that? Terrifier 2, which I think is coming out in the summer. Summer slash, you know, autumn time for Halloween, I think it's coming out. But yeah, so she's in Terrifier 2. How fucking cool is that? Really looking forward to it. Really cannot wait for Terrifier 2. Uh, Jonathan Tiersten is in this uh, as Ricky, uh, Karen Fields as Judy, Mike Sellin as Mel. I think this was actually his last performance. Uh, this was his last movie he ever did. Uh, Paul D'Angelo as Ronnie. Ronnie's awesome. Like, fucking brilliant. Um, <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, Ronnie's just one of those lovable characters and he's built like fucking Hulk in this movie. And it's funny because he's in Return to Sleepaway Camp and he's like in his late 60s in that movie and he's still jacked like fucking fantastic and a strange one a really bit of a strange one uh playing one of the chefs is robert earl jones um the father of hollywood legend darth vader voice um mufasa all of these fantastic you know one of the biggest actors of all time James Earl Jones. So, it's crazy. And it's all part of the times. You know, 1983, but he plays the most stereotypical black man character. It's so... It's it's uncomfortable to watch sometimes. Because he's a great actor. Like, he is a really good actor. Uh, I think he had, like, albums. Like, a soul singer and stuff like that. But yeah, he plays a really stereotypical character at the time and typecast much. I mean, he probably wasn't too bothered because he got paid and, you know, back in them times. But yeah, it's some of the things, like, it's uncomfortable to watch, man. It really is. Some of those things, you're watching it, you're like, holy shit. (laughs) Maybe, uh, you know, again, you know, if it wasn't already controversial enough, this movie, then... You know, that's just another thing to add to it, really. But yeah, James Earl Jones' father is in this movie, Robert Earl Jones. So anyway, let's get into the blow-by-blow of Sleepaway Camp. I can already tell this is going to be an absolute long episode because I've just spent half an hour or over half an hour blabbering on. But there was so much to talk about before we even get into the movie on this one. So let's get into it. Let's talk... Sleepaway Camp, let's go through the whole movie blow by blow, so let's just get right into it. So, the movie actually starts with this really, really grim, and it's actually, it's funny because I've never taken notes whilst I've watched this movie before, obviously, because I just, unless you're reviewing it for the podcast, why would I take notes? Uh, I probably should do for some, though, because then I can just pick the notes back up and... Re- nah, nah, nah. But anyway, so this is the first time I've taken notes, and probably the first time that I've watched this movie and I've actually paid close attention to the very first opening scene of this movie. And it's really grim. There's, like, this slow, depressing music playing, and we're going round, essentially, the camp, Camp Arawak, is that how you pronounce it? Camp Arawak? Um, but yeah, we're going round the camp and it's all abandoned and it's all empty and you can just hear the voices of the kids and it's actually, I believe, the voices that you hear in this movie, are in this opening bit, are all of the kids who died in the movie. So it's actually like the going round the camp that's now closed because fucking shit ton of people died here and were murdered. 
Uh, and it's kind of like you're listening to the ghosts of the of the camp. It's super, super creepy. And then it gets to the end of that bit and it's like Camp Arawak for sale. So you know shit's gone down here. So I just thought that was a really interesting opening part to the movie. Something I've never noticed before. And I was like, holy shit. Like, how did I not notice that? But taking notes, I was like, oh my, there we go. Um, so the opening scene, damn. So when I say hammy acting in this movie, this opening scene, Jesus Christ, sums up bad acting. So we get the boy and the girl and the dad, and they're out on the boat and they're out having fun. And then there's another speedboat with this like couple in it, and one's like water skiing behind them. Uh, and you don't really notice that it's like too bad until the boat. Um, crash crashes into them so like it's kind of actually a cool scene because the boat literally does go straight over the head of the of the dad i mean they really i mean i presume it's a dummy but they really whack into this guy it's on screen and it's not like it does look like the boat hits him from behind so fair play the effect isn't too bad even though it's probably a dummy but it happens so quickly you don't notice it it's obviously this is the original red herring of the movie because it's the dad and then you got the young boy and the young girl and one of them dies. One of them dies and you don't know who it is. Uh, you're led to believe it's the boy who dies because obviously we pick up then uh, how many years? I think it's eight years later. So oh, actually she was so Angela was five or six. The boy was five or six in this scene. Interesting. So, going back to my earlier argument of would he remember being a boy? I mean, he would, because you're five, you know. You're, you're in school. That's like you're two years into school at that point, really. Yeah, interesting. Yes, yeah, just one of those things. So he would have been... Because I think Angela's 13 or 14 in the movie. Like, the character of Angela is that old 13, 14 character. Felicia Rose was 13, so I presume she's playing, playing a similar age. Um... So yeah, so he would have been five or six. But anyway, it's that red herring where, you know, one of them dies and we believe it's the boy. But then, spoiler alert at the end, it's the girl, the sister who died and the aunt obviously turns the boy into Angela. And this is the part of the movie where we're just like, fucking hell, this, the acting is awful. So there's this girl, and she's in a like a, a life vest. She was the one who was water skiing. And she's like looking directly into the camera. And I can't remember what she says. She says like, um, she's like, oh my God, they're dying. Somebody please help them, they're dying. And it's as if she's like trying to swim like to them to help but she's clearly in like two feet of water it looks it just it looks awful and you know the long and it goes on for so long it goes on for so long. you're watching this and you're like oh my god how long are they going to focus on this girl who is a very very bad actress oh my god they're dying somebody help them it's 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 not good it's not good um all round jesus <laughs> So we fast forward eight years and we get to Camp Arawak. So again, another actually I kind of questioned it before is um, does Ricky know that Angela is a boy? I'm gonna say no, but he's he is very protective of Angela in this movie, like very protective. Like he gets into fights, so many fights. I think he gets into like three different fights in this movie, sticking up for Angela. So it's so difficult. I actually think 
Oh, it's so difficult. I actually think, and we're going to get into it, I, I don't think Angela is the only killer in this movie. And we're go- I'm going to tell you why I believe that as we go on to the movie. But yeah, in terms of does Ricky think that Angela's a boy or a girl, or a girl rather, it's very questionable. It's very questionable. In Return to Sleepaway Camp, it's obviously implied that he didn't know but if you're just going to eliminate that from the kind of sleepaway camp canon, I actually think there's parts of this movie that would make you believe that he does know that she's actually a boy and he might be in on it here as well. So as we're going, we'll get into it all. We'll get into it all. We'll get into it all. So this crazy Ant-Man, she is, this is just more bad acting. Like the first 10, 15 minutes of this movie is not good acting whatsoever. It does, I don't know if the acting gets better as the movie goes along, but it gets more, um, what's the word? You get used to it. <laughs> so it doesn't get better, but you kind of get used to it and kind of zone out a little bit. So anyway, uh, the ant actually, in a weird way, reminds me of Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory, just how she looks, how she moves, how she talks and acts. It's, yeah, very robotic. Uh, reminds me very much of Sheldon Cooper in the Big Bang. And anyway, they go to camp and they get to Camp Arawak. And man, again, this movie is touching on so many subjects because the chef um, in this is such a fucking scumbag. Like, he is clearly, uh, openly, in front of all of the other chefs, admitting that he's a paedophile. Like, and they don't care. Like, James Earl Jones' dad. So, he's like the chef, the big, fat, ugly, sweaty chef who is the paedophile. He's like saying, oh, you know where I come from? We call these lot baldies. And it's like, oh, like this guy is fucking scum. Um, But as I say, the other chef, James Earl Dad's, James Earl Jones's dad, um, he just laughs it off. He's like, (laughs) and it's like, like, uh, he even says like, he's like, there ain't no, what did he say? He says, um, Ain't no such thing as too young. And he's like, you're a naughty man. You're a naughty... You know, it's like that meme that you see on, like, Twitter. It's like, oh, naughty, naughty. That's what the fucking chef does. He just goes, ha, 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 slaps him on the arm and walks off as if, like... As if he's joking. And he's like, he's clearly not joking. Like, if you were... If you have a dark sense of humour, you know, you could tell when someone's joking. And... This and as we clearly prove into the movie, he's not joking uh, because he tries to fucking rape some of the fucking kids. But he's like the chef's just like, <laughs> yeah, what? And it's so bizarre. He's openly telling them he's a paedophile, and it's just—it's so crazy. It's just absolutely mental. Um, oh my god, as well. <laughs> <laughs> is it who oh my god i cannot remember his name i wrote it down uh i'll get to his name but yeah like ricky's friend who eventually peter is it peter i think so let's call him peter for now until i kind of get corrected otherwise um he like he's talking to ricky and he's like hey get a load of judy <laughs> It's like, she's got like the, because she's playing like a 14 year old. I think she's older in this movie, but she's playing like a 14 year old who obviously had like 14 year old people, as we all remember from back then, you know, even if you just had, even if a girl just grew a little bit of boobs, you were like, oh, she's really got massive boobs, even though she 
didn't really you know when you're looking back at it but because it's at that age where especially in the uk you go from like year nine when you're in year nine you're like a child you're a kid when you go to year 10 which is like so there's year nine ten and eleven then you leave school when you get to year 10 you're a you're a adult in your mind and there's that noticeable difference between the girls when i was in year nine and year 10 they definitely became more you know grown up let's say um so yeah i mean it's just like she's such a total bitch anyway but it was just funny because like get a load of judy and it's like these are huge and it's like oh my god um (laughs) uh and yeah the kids in this fucking have the shortest shorts like the boys have the shortest shorts and ronnie who is one of the counselors who is the coolest guy ronnie is such a cool guy but the, I think it was just the early 80s, just everyone had these really short shorts and they're all white. And it's like, oh dear, just doesn't work, doesn't work at all. But yeah, <laughs> I just thought it's funny, get a hold of Judy. You know, it's like, mm. Judy plays a fantastic bitch in this character, in this in this movie. And I think the person who plays Judy in this movie, uh, I'll just double check her name to make sure I get it correct. Because I did just say it like 10 minutes ago, Karen Fields. She plays it so damn well. Uh, She's like probably one of the most memorable bitches in a horror movie. Like bullies, bitches, all that kind of thing. She is such a good little actress in this. Plays it so well. And from her in like um, IMDb, she doesn't really do anything after this movie. It's such a a shame. Real shame because she plays a really good character so anyway we get introduced to ronnie as well who is jacked like this fucking guy is jacked to pieces and he's such a lovely guy such a cool guy because he's one of those guys where you know he's so jacked he's so tough that he doesn't need to act tough he doesn't need to act like an ass because he is jacked and he knows that if you mess with him he's got a fuck you up he's gonna split you in half because he's like a fucking he's literally like Lou Ferrigno's Hulk he is massive um in fact he's probably more jacked than Lou Ferrigno's Hulk like that's how jacked this guy is and um yeah he's just like the sweetest guy and probably um yeah probably my favorite character in this whole movie so to see him in return to sleepwear camp was probably the best part of that movie but yeah he's just such a great great character and he comes over to angela because she's not eating and he's like hey angela let me take you into the back and we'll get you something out of the freezer or you know we'll we'll pick something out for you he doesn't need to do that he's got all of these kids here and uh, you know angela's obviously a bit fucked up uh, we can all tell that from the from the off um He's like, come on, let's go into the back and let's let's find you something to to eat. So that's such a nice guy. The only problem with that is he takes her into the back <laughs> to the hands of the paedophile chef who we have just seen call these kids baldies and say they're never too young. So you know this guy is fucked up. And he's like, and Ronnie must know, this is the thing, does Ronnie know that he's a pedo? Like, probably not. He probably doesn't have enough interaction with him. But Jesus, the other chef should be saying... Don't send this young girl into the fridge with this fucking monster. You know, it's crazy. So they go into the walk-in fridge. And he's like, hey, Angela, I've got something 
you'll like. And he's like taken off his pants and just the most disgusting human being in the world. And luckily Ronnie comes in, not Ronnie, Ricky comes in just in time and he's like, hey, get out of here, you little fuck. You know, get the fuck out of here. And then as he's not even like... This is the thing. He's not even slightly trying to hide the fact that he's a paedophile rapist. He um, fucking comes out of the fridge, of the walking fridge, with his belt already off and flies down, pulling his flies up as these kids run out of the fridge and the chefs don't say anything. It's like this guy's not even trying to hide the fact that he's a scummy rapist paedophile. He's just fucking going right out and doing it. It's like absolutely crazy, crazy. Anyway, this chef gets fucking what's coming to him. The first kill of the movie, which is phenomenal effect. It works so well. And he gets his face boiled. And great first kill, great practical effects makeup. The burns look great because the burns are like blistering and moving and it's hot and there's steam. Great, great work. Now, it's not really a kill because he's not... He doesn't die, but he actually gets a worse fate than dying because he has to live the rest of his life in pain and it's implied that he loses his eyesight as well. So he's now blind, fucked up, in pain for the rest of his life. So you could argue he actually got the worst fate out of every... Maybe apart from Judy. She has the worst... She has a terrible fate. Oh, Peter as well. He has a... Well, you know, one of them because he does survive, but he has no quality of life at all. Um, from these injuries. So, and the owner, Jesus, Mel, the owner just tries to cover things up and he just says to the, um, he, just, like, he says to the staff, he's like, um, you know, just tell the campers that he found another job. Just, you don't need nothing wrong. Just tell him the left, tell him he left and got a new job. He's like, okay, that's not dodgy. And then he gives like the chefs, like he gives the James Earl Jones's dad like an extra $50 a week and the other chefs $15. So like, he's like, I'm going to pay you more money. Just don't tell them that, you know, he's gone. Just tell him he got a new job. It's like, okay. Um, there is this scene in this movie and it's completely... It adds literally nothing to the whole movie. And it's like five minutes of these kids playing baseball. We... It adds nothing. Because we only really interact with Ricky, Peter, Judy Meg, Ronnie Mel, the bully who throws a water balloon... Uh, and that's it. Like, those are the only characters we ever interact with after this anyway. And the police officer. So why, why do we have to have this five minutes of baseball? It just doesn't add anything. And it's like, oh, it's not even good baseball. Like, oh. I was like, why, why, can I just fast forward this? Is something going to happen? Because I couldn't remember. Nothing does happen. It was just like, what the hell? And, uh, there, there was the, there's the dance as well that night, and this looks like the dance from the In Betweeners episode where <laughs> Jay, Jay takes them all to Caravan Club, and it looks just as depressing as that. It's like, so this is Caravan Club. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's one of the best episodes of the In Betweeners. That one, and yeah, this scene reminds me so much of it because it's just the most depressing thing. Uh, and all the, oh, just like, did you ever, like, this is the thing, like, all the boys are asking Angela out for a bet. It, I actually saw a friend of mine on Facebook the other day put something on 
uh, Facebook about, remember when you were in school and people used to ask you out for a joke just to make fun of you? Uh, how bad is that? I don't think I ever did. I think if I ever had a girlfriend or just a girl in my school, I was like thankful for that. I was like, <laughs> I was not asking anyone out for a joke. I was like, you know, yep, yeah, brill. I'll take that all day long. Good stuff. <laughs> and I actually think I was lucky. I don't think anyone ever asked me out for it as a joke. Maybe once where I thought someone did, but they didn't because it wasn't a joke in the end. So I was like, truff with that. But, you know, um, yeah, I just thought it was a weird thing. So it was funny. I was watching this as that was put on Facebook. I was like, fuck, there it is. And um, the boys are like, hey, yo, Angela, how come you're so fucked up? <laughs> And it's like, Jesus. And Ricky's the only one who stands up for it. It's more bad acting in this because Ricky gets into a fight and he's completely just looking for his cue to turn around. And he does. And it's just bad timed. Like, this whole fight sequence is very badly choreographed. There probably isn't even a, a fight choreographer on set. It's probably just, like, the director going, well, do this, do that as we do this. And, yeah, it just didn't... It, it wasn't very good. Um, And Paul... Did I say Paul or did I say Peter? It's Paul. Corrected myself. Thank you, Notepad. <laughs> Jesus. It's, I think I said Peter, but it's Paul. We are using Paul, Peter to rob Paul here, as the old saying goes. But Paul chats her up and is a lot more sincere. And she actually talks for the first time. She says, oh, good night. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, Good night! He's like as if he's just scarred because this girl has said good night to him. And I suppose because the girl is so fucked up that she just genuinely doesn't know... Um, she can't say anything else. I was like, holy shit, like, fair enough. Like, it was just so funny. Like, and then there's this, like, butterflies, like... Like, the butterfly um, sound, as if, you know... He's like... And he's like, good night! <laughs> he's chuffed with that. Uh, so Leslie, one of the characters, and some guy take the canoe. Uh, he flips the boat, and he sees Leslie, the girl, swim away. He literally sees her swim away. He, she's like 10 feet away from him. She sees him. She, he sees her, rather, swimming away. And he gets under the boat, and for some reason, he thinks that Leslie is under the boat. Like, you've just seen her swim away. Like... If we didn't have that shot of her swimming away, fine. I can. So if he just flips the boat and then the next scene is, you know, under the boat, it's like, fair enough. But he, like the camera we see and he sees, she swims away. So what the fuck? Like, how does he think that this person is underneath the boat? I was like, Jesus. Anyway, and um, he, gets, he gets drowned. And it's pretty weak because, you know, he's like 17, 18. And Angela's like 13, and we don't see it. It's obviously a red herring. We only see the person come up and then dunk him underwater, so we don't actually see who did it, even though we know it's Angela in the end. Um, it could be Ricky, because it's the same kind of hair, but yeah, it, it, it's left as a whodunit, and it's kind of weak. But the reveal, the reveal of this body is so damn good. Like, he... And I believe, I, again, I... Could I need to really watch these things more closely, but I think that the person who she drowned here is the one who said, hey, Angela, why are you so fucked up? So obviously that's pissed her off. So now that she is going to kill him, um, and yeah, so we'll go from, that's that's uh, the reason for that. But yeah, the body discovery is so damn good. It, rem it looks like the, um, 
the you know on Creepshow, the original Creepshow, where Leslie Nielsen uh, leaves the couple to drown and then they come and haunt him. It actually looks a bit like that. Like the kid is pale, completely pale. There's like snakes coming out of his mouth and eyes and. Damn, it is good effect. So that's what I said earlier on, where although some of the kills in this movie are super weak and super, like, poor, the actual reveal of these kills are so damn good. And this is one of them. Such a good reveal. And the camp owner, he's like, it's an accident. The police officer, who has a moustache at the time, he's like, "Um, yeah, I think we're going to have to leave it up to the coroner to, you know discover to kind of let us know what happened here because it's clearly an accident Pete, no one's been killed here it's an accident and then the ricky uh ronnie sorry is like saying mm, i don't know if it, he says to the police officer is i don't think it is an accident because he was a such a good swimmer how could he drown he's like a champion swimmer this guy so which also makes me believe like oh how can angela have the strength to do it yes she's a boy but even as a 13 14 year old boy you wouldn't, I don't think, have the strength to overpower a 17-year-old champion swimmer. <laughs> it's like, but yeah, he like, this This owner loves accidents. Like, he's like, nope, wasn't, no one's been killed here. Not a soul. <laughs> um, so, da, 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 da. oh yeah, so Judy and Meg are just the worst kind of people in the world. Like, Angela's just talking to a boy. I think she's talking to Paul. And uh, she's like, hey, hey, Angela, why do you? Why does Angela get to talk to all the boys? Like, she's talking to one boy. The one boy who doesn't tell her she's so fucked up. <laughs> That's all she's talking to. So, yeah, it's like, she's like giving a shit about that. And uh, Paul and Angela, their kiss has got to be the worst kiss in any movie you'll ever see. Like, they barely touch. It's like, I've kissed my mum with more passion than that, as weird as that say it sounds, because she's like, they just don't even touch. It's like... The, and then it's like this uh, fluttering as well. Like, duh, 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 duh. The, the sound and the music in this movie are so weird. <laughs> it's like such weird choices for musical sound effects in this movie. But yeah, they get like... Uh, <laughs> like this, the, it's the worst kiss, the worst kiss possible. And uh, Meg, oh my god, yeah, she loses it with Angela because um, she like comes in and she absolutely. I think Angela's like um, on the bed and she's like Meg's talking to her and she's then gone back into a mute state. And uh, Meg's like, hey, I'm talking to you, Angela, and then. She's like, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you. And it's in like a normal voice. And then she just goes, without any build-up, she goes like from one to ten. She goes, answer me, Angela, answer me, I'm talking to you. It's like the most over-the-top, crazy, ridiculous hammy acting you'll ever see. And I was like, oh my god, like when are we... Could they not have reshot some of these scenes? <laughs> Could the director have not gone, okay, you know, Meg, whoever was playing Meg's like, let's call her Meg. Hey, Meg, you know, you're kind of at number 10. We kind of need you to start at number one, then go to number four, and then go up to like eight or nine or 10. But you're at one, and then you go to 10, and it looks so ridiculous. It really does. Um, oh, Judy as well, you know, super, super bitch character, because she's like making fun of Angela for not uh, not hitting puberty. He's like, hey, Angela, I bet you don't have any hair down there. And it's like, 
that's why you don't shower. It's like, do girls at that age check their... I, I, it's funny because um, I always feel like girls at that age are maybe a different breed because boys, I remember when I was 12, 13, 14, and uh, as crazy as it is, when you look back at it, you're like, Jesus Christ, this is just so embarrassing. But yeah, people would compare like their pubic hair and like, uh, like, oh yeah, I've got loads. You know, there you go. And oh, I've got loads too. So it's like the weirdest shit that you did. And I just thought girls didn't do that, but maybe they do. I don't think they do. Surely not. But this leads like the way this is written leads you to think that like all the girls just look at each other and like, oh yeah, you've got pubes, you're hitting puberty, and oh Angela, you know, show you know, show your bush and all this. Like, what the fuck? is happening here. Um, and I kind of touched on it earlier, but there is a big age gap between the kids at this camp. Now, they're either really, really young or old. Like, some of these kids, like the adults, they are adults, fully grown adults. Like, the guys who are hitting on Judy, because she's the only girl in the camp who has a set of tits, has, like, got a hairy chest. Like, he's got a hairier chest than me. And I'm 28 years old. Am I 28 or 29? 28. 29 in August. Um, and it's like... And I have a hairy chest. Like, I do not wax that, that motherfucker. Like, I am very much very proud of that. But this guy... He's meant to be like 15, 16. And he's got... It, it's very much, again, like The Inbetweeners. If you've seen season one of The Inbetweeners... Where Will has sex... Or tries to have sex, rather, with... Um, Charlotte and they are in bed together and Will's like meant to be four I think maybe like 15 or 16 and because Simon Bird who plays Will must have been in his mid to late 20s at this point and uh, he's got like a full-on Austin Powers hairy chest and it's like they shave that off for the next scene the next series and into the movies but I was like oh my god like that's what is happening it's like you do not tell me these fucking kids are 15, 16. Like, he's, like, in his late 20s, this guy. Um, so maybe they're all men to be the same age, but for some reason the casting director was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to cast people of random ages from 5 to 30, and we're all going to say they're the same age, and it's all going to be fine, and it, it's such a weird fucking thing. And... Uh, <clears throat> the next kill is actually pretty good. So we see that this guy... Throws a water balloon at Angela. And then whoever this boy was, we didn't I don't really think we got a name. Maybe we did, but I didn't pick up on it, whatever. Goes and picks uh he goes and takes a shit. And we kind of see him going to the stall. And Angela cuts through the kind of um the fly netting and puts a fully live beehive into the cubicle with him. Now, this guy is jacked as shit. Like, this guy, he's not Ronnie jacked by any means, but he is, like, a buff guy. And he can't... And because she puts the broom in between where the doors are on the in the um, cubicle. And, yeah, so she can't get out. He can't get out. It's like, come on, man. All you have to do is elbow barge that thing open, and then you will be right out of there in a jiffy. Like, you have no issues here getting out of there or you, know, you can climb through the window you can climb over the over the um cubicle like there's so many things you could do and he doesn't he's just like in there taking it from the bees and then although it is kind of poor in the fact that we just see the door rattle and he's screaming 
not escaping in any way, shape or form. But the reveal of this is absolutely fantastic where he's got all the boils and the blisters from the bee stings and then all of the bees are literally just on his face, eating his face. Candyman style looks so damn good. So again, it's one of those where they really invested in the reveal factor of the kills more so than the actual kills themselves and that's fine i don't mind that so much it's when people do off-screen kills and then don't do any reveals that i have a problem with because then you're cheaping out and fucking over your own movie whereas this one they you know had a set idea where they're gonna you know really focus on the effects of the aftermath and that kind of makes it easier as well because then you don't have to apply so much makeup onto actual live actors you can do it on dummies or stuff like that and make it look real so fair enough i i I will let them off with all that because the reveals in this are really really good and the owner for some reason thinks it's ricky he's totally obsessed with the fact that it's ricky because and i suppose i suppose i can see why he would think it's ricky because he um he, he he like saw Ricky fight this guy and he saw Ricky fight the guy who ended up getting drowned. So yeah, I can kind of see why you would think it's Ricky, but he gets so damn obsessed. So damn obsessed. Um A weird thing as well here is there's a scene where Paul sneaks up on Angela. And Angela's like, she jumps and she's really shocked. She's like, oh my god, I thought you were the killer. And it's like, you're the killer. Like, only when you watch this back a few times, you're like, why did she think he was the killer? Because she killed them all. So again, she's not mentally, or he's not mentally all there. Maybe a split personality disorder here where, you know, they the killer comes out and takes over. I don't know, but I was like, you're the killer. So again, it's just in there to kind of put you off the scent. But I was like... That's fine the first time you watch the movie because it's a fairly forgettable little scene. But you you know that she's the killer. So why would she say this? I just Strange, strange thing. And we see this really weird flashback as well of Angela's dad and he's gay. And uh, the guy that we saw at the lake in the first scene of the movie was his boyfriend. And um, she... Um, I kind of forgot where I was going there, but yeah. <laughs> and again, I'm not really sure what that added at all. It's like a flashback of the kids watching the dad with his boyfriend in bed and they're like laughing and sniggling. And I'm like, what does this add to the movie? Like, the fact that the dad was gay made, like, what? Like, I think what it's trying to say in a weird, weird way. Is And I know this is going to sound absolutely crazy, but I think what this scene is trying to say, because we're already, we're establishing here that Angela is, she's gay because she, or he, is attracted to Paul, kind of. And although she doesn't like snog him or anything, like they do kiss and they do hold hands and they do cuddle. And so there's like this, this attraction there and this affection there. And I think that's what this is trying to say is that because we see the boy and the girl watching the dad and his boyfriend in bed. And I think that's maybe trying to say that the boy in his head, because he's so impressionable at that age, thinks that this is a relationship that, you know, 
that everybody has, you know. So in his head, he's like, well, I'm just going to get a boyfriend. You know, I'm just going to get myself a boyfriend when I'm older because the only relationship he's ever known is of his dad, who's gay. So he's like, he doesn't watch a straight couple all the time or a mum and dad. He sees his dad and his boyfriend. So in his head, he's thinking, oh, well, this is what... And again, you don't have any real sexual urges at that age, obviously. <laughs> so he, in his head, he's maybe thinking, okay, I'm... And we already know the character's kind of a bit, you know, impressionable and a bit fucked up and all that. So when he transitions to being a girl, obviously he just thinks, oh, well, I'm, I'm still a boy. I want to get a boyfriend. Is I, I don't know. Is that what that's trying to say? It adds literally nothing to the story. Um, oh, well, I suppose what it could also add is that... Just going off on tangents here, but what it could uh, it could explain why Angela ended up going to her aunt because it was her aunt's brother who died, and maybe the dad's boyfriend didn't want to take him in, so maybe maybe even uh, <laughs> this is kind of going on another tall tangent, but maybe even Angela's sister. It's so so mad died was the daughter of Angela's dad's boyfriend so they kind of had this like he had a daughter and he had a son and then they kind of got together and so they're kind of half sisters but he didn't want to take on the dad's child after his husband or boyfriend had been killed in this accident so that could also be explaining why they end up going she ends up going to live with aunt, the aunt did I say Aunt Lydia again? I don't think I did. Maybe I did, but Aunt Lydia, it's, she's not called Aunt Lydia. Aunt Lydia is from <laughs> The Handmaid's Tale. But yeah, I just think maybe that's trying to, in a weird roundabout way, trying to explain that. I'm trying to figure out why it's in the movie. I have no issue with it being in the movie, because it kind of was like, oh, well, yeah, the dad was gay, but why, why, why is that there in this particular point in the movie? Because of that. I don't know. Um, very strange. Um, and Mel... Um, <clears throat> yeah. Oh, shit. I, I was totally, like, threw over this bit here. Now, um, Judy and Meg, again, giving Angela shit. And Angela gets thrown into the water. And at this point, at this point, does Judy and Meg seal their fates. And that's them. They are gonna they are gonna meet a horrible, horrible end because of this. But also, as I said earlier, when she gets out of the water and the kids are throwing sand at her, that's them. They and she notices. She if, if you watch this film carefully, you'll pick it up. But the kids throw sand at her and then she looks at them. She looks back on them, and that's when they seal their fate and get killed as well in this movie. So again, Mel, he thinks that Ricky did this completely. He's the only one that could possibly have killed all these people. But, really interesting scene here. Really, because as Angela's getting thrown into the river or the lake, Mel's like pushing over Ricky, like saying, you know what you did, I'm going to get you. You know, I know you killed all these people. And Ricky's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He didn't kill anyone. As... Uh, uh, Ricky gets Angela from the lake he looks at Judy and Meg as they're walking off laughing and kind of he says we won't let them get away with this 
in a really sinister, dark tone. So, leading me on to one of the next kills... Mm, let's just jump straight into it. Let's get into this. So, even though I'm kind of going... I'm going to go back and forward here. So this isn't in the movie order. Something else happens before this. But whilst I'm on it, let's talk about it. Ricky says, we won't let them get away with this. He hates Judy because Judy was his girlfriend last summer and she's been giving him shit. And because she thinks she's grown a set of tits, she can go and sleep with the older kids and the older guys in the in the in the camp like completely immature little bitch but he has a motive now because she's thrown angela into the lake she's gave him shit she's kissed um her friend paul she's kissed his friend paul rather so ricky really has motive here to do something to angela to judy and Judy is killed by getting a curling iron, although it's implied. We don't know if it's, uh, we, you know, we don't see it. It's not on screen, but it's heavily implied that she gets the curling iron right up the vagina. <laughs> it's a really famous kill. But the door opens as Judy watches. She sees the door open. And... It's clearly Ricky. It's clearly Ricky in the doorway. Yet people seem to think that that is in there as a red herring because it's meant to be Angela because it's Ricky in a wig. Mm. No, no, no. In my opinion, Ricky is a killer in this movie and he kills Judy. I do not think that Angela kills Judy in this movie because Angela, whilst this is all going on, is out in the woods killing the little kids and they aren't just down the path they're just they're not like just down by the lake they had to get in a car and drive to their camping spot so angela at this point in time is too far away from the camp to kill judy this is all happening in the one night she's too far away to kill the kids and to kill uh judy and we see ricky on screen literally in the doorway it's, it's clearly ricky it's clearly him and he had motive. So, in my opinion, Ricky is the second killer in this movie. If you don't believe it, then I think you're just kind of trying to trick yourself to believe that Angela did all the killing. But no, for me, definitely Ricky is a second killer and racks up at least one kill in this movie. 100% in my opinion. Anyway... I'm glad that we got that out of the way because I kind of teased it earlier in the episode, but that was my... I definitely think Ricky is a killer in this movie. And whilst he only kills one person, maybe he doesn't even kill... Well, no, he does kill because we see... We kind of get the uh, reveal with the policeman, don't we? But, um, yeah, Angela wouldn't have been there at that time. So someone else killed Judy and it was definitely Ricky. So, yeah. Mel was actually a bit right there. He had right to suspect to be suspicious about Ricky, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> what is this with Meg? Meg goes on a date with Mel. Mel, are we supposed to believe that Mel, who no offense to the guy, would go would get a date with Mel with Meg? Meg's like eighteen, say seventeen, eighteen. She's a good-looking girl in the movie. Mel 
is is like a 70-year-old man who wears these old 80s-style tracksuits. Like, he's not an attractive proposition. And Meg, like, is really into him. Like, she's obviously into older guys. There's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. You know, there's people out there, young girls, who are into old men. Whatever floats your boat, whatever tickles your fancy, you just go for it. But he's not got any money, because he's got no money tied up in this camp. He's not like a a good-looking old guy, kind of like a... Uh, I don't know, like... Good-looking old people, like... Uh, Sean Connery, or... Um, you know, um, oh, Larry Lamb, he's a good-looking old guy. I don't know if you know who that is, but... <laughs> um, you know, these people, like, good-looking older people, fine. If he looked like that, I'd be like, okay, half-believable. She's got, like, a bit of a kink for old guys. He's a good-looking old guy. She's at camp. She just wants some old guy. Fine. Whatever. But Mel... That's just the most unbelievable... When I watched it for the first time, I was like, what the fuck's happening here? And I was like, this cannot be true. Like, I was like, what the hell? Mel? Come on, Meg. Come on. Come on. You can do better than that. Um. So, Mel also, he discovered... Because Meg gets killed in the shower. And it's a kind of okay kill. It's again one of those where we see she's in the shower. Um... There's no boobs in this movie. Just a separate note. There is no boobs in this movie. Whereas uh, Christmas... Uh, sorry, Silent Night, Deadly Night last week, there was tons of nudity. And I and I think in Sleepaway Camp 2, there is tons of nudity. But in this movie, there's not one nude girl body, I don't believe. Not one. This is crazy. That's just an interesting fact. No nudity in this movie. Apart from big bulges coming out of Ronnie's pants, because he's like got the smallest fucking shorts on in the world. Um, so Mel, not sorry, Mel, Meg, it's getting late. Meg is in the shower, and then she gets like stabbed through the back, and it's okay. It's on screen, kind of doesn't really look great. But again, the discovery of the body is pretty good. So Mel discovers Meg's body because he's out looking for it. He's like, where's Meg? Has anybody seen Meg? I'm meant to be meeting her. So he's going around the camp asking all of these kids, where's Meg? I have a date with her. And then no, no one's questioning this, that this 70-year-old camp owner is having a date with one of the fucking campers. <laughs> it's like, even in 1983, this thing isn't <laughs> correct. Um, anyway, Mel discovers the body, and it's hilarious because she... It's as if she's standing up, and then she, like, falls out of the shower. But she's clearly dead. But she was standing up, ready for Mel to come, and then she fell out of the shower. It, oh, get, This would have been better had he just opened up the shower curtain and she was there. Why they thought it was a good idea for her to stand up and throw, fall out of the shower... I have absolutely no idea. I was like, what the hell? Who thought this was a good idea? Who thought that that was going to make any sense whatsoever? Because really, in real time, this is probably like an hour to an hour and a half, two hours even, after she's initially been killed. So why is she standing up in the shower? With no force, she goes flying out the shower. Unless somebody pushed her out of the shower curtain, which is unlikely. Mm, no, she definitely, it was just badly filmed. Um, and the counsellor as well. He finds all of the kids' bodies in the in the sleeping bags. Now, this guy is a shitty, shitty counsellor because 
two kids. I mean, there was probably, what, six or seven kids there camping with him. He was responsible for them. And because two little bitchy kids go, oh, I'm cold. I want to go back. I want to go back. He's like, come on then. Let's get you in the car and take you back. Get in the car and take you back? You leave the other four kids to bloody fend for themselves in the woods. Like, these are little kids. These are like five, six-year-old kids. And he comes back to see them, like, butchered, like... We don't see it because, obviously, even in 1983, in a low-budget slasher movie, showing kids getting killed on screen is really something that is a big... It doesn't really ever happen in horror movies. Even slasher movies, like, the craziest of slasher movies, kids generally, even if they get killed, we don't see it. So we don't see it in this. It's just the reveal, and we don't even see the bodies. We just see the sleeping bags covered in blood, and they have been hacked the shit into. Like, with a knife just bang, 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 completely fucked up, and Angela really, really went to... Like, these kills to the kids are actually probably more... If if we saw them, what's implied, are more brutal than the kids... than any of the kills in the whole movie. So she really fucking went to... went to... uh, went to town on those things. Uh, on those kids, fuck's sake. Um, oh, Jesus, man. Mel grabs Ricky because he believes it was Ricky who's doing all the killing. And he literally just clubs this guy. Like, he slaps him originally, gives him a lot of slaps. And he's pounding on Ricky. So there is absolutely no way that the guy, the kid would survive. What He's like 12, 13. And he's got a grown man literally hammering down on his head like this guy would not survive and he's only got like a bust nose when we go back to him it's like you'd have your skull caved in jesus christ mel gets killed as well with an arrow through the neck it's a really good effect he's like oh it's you he realizes it's not ricky so obviously he's looking at angela he's like oh it's you no it can't be you it's like and then he gets the arrow the arrow through the neck uh, effect in this is really really good very good even really smooth how it all comes about so yeah really good kill although i don't know if that would kill him maybe it would i don't know but he kind of just dies straight away it's one of those but it's a pretty good really good kill now people talk about the ending of this movie and we're going to talk about that in um in detail in just a minute but One thing that people forget about this movie, and it's something that I put on the Facebook page the other day, and damn it, I'm going to talk about it today. The greatest, the single greatest moment in this movie, in my opinion, is the reveal of the policeman's moustache. It is the greatest moustache in the history of movies. Like, what the fuck were they thinking when they filmed this? Like, earlier in the movie, we see the policeman, and he has a moustache. A real moustache. Fine. They then bring him back, presumably, maybe a week later, two weeks later, to do the next scene, and he's shaved his moustache off. Which is fine. But instead of just letting him film the scene without the moustache... They get two pieces of duct tape, like elastic tape, put it on his face and pretend he's got a moustache. It's clearly two pieces of elastic fucking duct tape. It does not look like it's the fakest moustache. Like, even in comedy movies, you know when people clearly have fake moustaches? In fact, you know the the joke glasses that come with a nose and a moustache? 
That's a realer moustache than what we see in this fucking scene. Why give him the moustache? What need is it? Like, if this film, if this scene, if this scene was filmed first and he had no moustache, well, if he if they filmed this scene first rather and he had a moustache and then they filmed the scene that happened only two days earlier and he didn't have a moustache... He'd shaved it off first, or afterwards, you know, whichever way they were filming the scenes, then kind of I would see why they would put a fake moustache on him. But I don't know if the director is aware of this, but people shave. People shave their moustache off all the time. Like, oh, here's the same policeman from before. Oh, he shaved his moustache off. No one would even notice. But the fact that they've put the fakest looking moustache in the world on this poor bloke is the most hilarious thing I've ever seen in any movie. Like, it's just... It's it's the, going to be the cover photo on our Facebook page slash Street Podcast. Go and check it out. But I was like, holy shit, man. Like, why would you do that? Like, even if they just gave him a different haircut as well and said it was a different policeman, it wouldn't matter. No one cares. But the fact that you've put a shitty fake moustache on it makes it look absolutely ridiculous. I've never, on it, never seen anything like it before. Never in my, you want to watch this movie purely for this. It's just incredible. You would not believe your eyes. Well, you've seen the photo on the Facebook page. Just look at it. Absolutely unbelievable. Like, why? Just let him go without a moustache. It doesn't matter. People shave. It happened two days later. He was there two, like two days before he had a moustache. Two days later, he doesn't have a moustache. Who cares? He shaved the moustache. Doesn't matter. It's the height of summer. He's probably got hot on his lips. He's probably getting a sweaty lip. I'm shaving moustache off. Doesn't matter. God, absolutely crazy. And Ronnie and another girl goes off and they find Angela and Paul. And Paul thinks, poor Paul. I feel sorry for Paul because he thinks he's going to see Angela naked because he wants to go skinny dipping. And he's like, oh shit, I'm finally going to see Angela naked. And he's like, can't wait. And he's so excited. And then we get there. We get there. Ronnie finds Angela and Paul. And he's like, oh, Angela? Angela? You know, because he's just, look, they look like, she's looks like she's hugging him. And they're all nude. You know, kids at camp, all that good stuff. And then we get this big reveal that the boy from earlier in the movie, it's actually Angela and all the... The aunt's crazy, you know. She kind of turned him into a girl and oh my God. We've gotten into it in so much detail. There's no point in going into that. Um, And then the shocking ending. The most shocking ending is where, for me actually, it's more shocking the fact that uh, she's caressing Paul's head. And then she, the head just rolls off. Like, she's like, the head rolls off. And, um, like, poor Paul, he's been decapitated, man. Not only did he think he was going to see Angela naked and maybe get some tonight, he's had his head, he's found out that his girlfriend's a fucking boy. And he's had his head cut off. He's had literally the worst night ever. Um, and then the end in the shock, she's, she jumps up. And it's the the whole thing, the animalistic jump up and like she's got the, ah, you know, the, the mouth wide open. She's looking in one direction and we see this full body shot of Angela and, uh, you know, the boys, Willie's there slapping about in the breeze and Angela and blood all over her. It really is one of the most shocking 
moments in a film. And and Ronnie's like, oh my God, she's a boy. It's like, you don't need to tell us that, Ronnie. We we know. We know. We've got eyes. Um, <laughs> and it's just like the face, the music tone totally changes. Because throughout this whole movie, the whole music has been like fluttery. And uh, actually, the mu- the music in this reminds me a lot of Wurzel Gummidge. Like, um, as crazy as that is. Like, if you watch Wurzel Gummidge, if, you- if you're in America, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. But Wurzel Gummidge is a TV show that was in the UK in like the 80s. And the music in this movie reminds me of that. But then this scene, the music totally changes. Like, like really crazy, freaky mu- music. And yeah, and then we get the big reveal, and then the credits come up, Sleepaway Camp plays, and that's the end of the movie. And it's just, you just sit there like, holy shit. So, um, it is a good movie, Sleepaway Camp, do not get me wrong. It's a solid, solid slasher movie, but it definitely lives on its ending. And as I said, actually, Sleepaway Camp 2 is by far a better movie. It's one of the, for me, one of the best slashers ever made, Sleepaway Camp 2. It's absolutely awesome. We're going to get into that one next week. Um, it's not often that I do um, the same franchise. We I've only done it once when we did Evil Dead 2 and An Army of Darkness, but I just feel like Sleepaway Camp and Sleepaway Camp 2 are completely different movies, even though it's from the same franchise, so I'm kind of going to do it. Next week we're going to do Sleepaway Camp 2, but yeah, if you took the ending away from this movie, would it hold up? Uh, probably not some of the kills are good like the chef kills good the reveals are good but for the most part it's a bit average up until you get to the end really unfortunately um whereas sleepaway camp 2 it's just a ride all the way through it's not relying on one particular kill it's not relying on an ending or anything like that it's just awesome from start to finish and so fun so that's why i think sleepaway camp 2 is better but we're going to get into it next week um what i probably will do next week as well i might do a little ranking of the sleepaway camp movies but um you probably already know based on the way i'm talking in this movie what's going to be um what that list is going to be like um but you know we might do that we'll see but yeah um it's a fun movie it's definitely worth watching it's worth your time if you like slasher movies camp slasher movies um both at camp and campy, then this is for you. Um, if I mean nobody watch, as I said, nobody watches slasher movies for the acting, and this movie definitely has horrendous acting all the way through it. But it is a good fun movie. It's worth watching, and it's worth watching just for the ending. So go and check it out if you haven't done so already. Hopefully you have watched it and then came back and listened to this podcast because I don't. And I give plenty of warning, plenty of spoiler warning, but hopefully. Um, I haven't spoiled this for you because it's definitely worth watching without the spoilers. But the way I'm talking now, it's too late because you've already listened to me talk about it. So I've already spoiled it for you. So never mind. Um, So anyway, overall, I would give this movie a solid 6.5 to a 7 out of 10. Probably a 6.5 because if there was more on-screen gore, that would be better. Um, Better acting would be better. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah it's definitely good it's a good it's a solid movie it's a solid 80s slasher uh 6.5 out of 10 for me so before we go let's go through the trivia um that we have compiled there's actually quite a bit of trivia in this one this week um so let's get into it so trivia on the movie Sleepaway camp so willie kuskin who plays one of the bullied camp boys was genuinely bullied during filming Frank Trent Saladino, who played a camp counsellor, had to step in when the other members took things too far. 
Um, the film became an unexpected hit and something of a cult favourite for horror movie buffs. It made 30 times more than what it spent than what was spent on it. I think there's actually more than that. I think I'll have to work out the official maths. I think we said, what, 35, 37? Maybe not 30 exactly, we'll see. Um, as a child, writer-slash-director Robert Hiltzig actually went to the camp used in the film. So that's pretty cool. Um, this is Mike Selling's final film. Uh, he was sick during the filming of the movie, but did his best to conceal it. He died of lung cancer in August 1983, three months before the film's release. That's really sad. Um, the, the police entering the recall at the end of the film... Why did I copy that? It says he's wearing a fake moustache um, because he wore a real moustache and shaved it off. Like, who the fuck cares? Fuck's sake, man. Uh, yeah, so Felicia Rose was only 13 at the time, which is unusual for a feature film. Studios usually cast actors 18 and over who look younger due to the restrictions on using actors under 18 for extended hour shoots. Also at 13, she was too young to see her own movie in theatres. The climatic, the climactic scene was accomplished using a nude man wearing a mask cast from Felicia Rose's face. The thin man who stood in for Angela was a college student who needed to get drunk before he was able to do the scene. Oh, that's rough. It must have been cold that night. It must have been cold. Poor fella. So he's like a college student. What's that, 1920? And I believed that that was the penis of a 13-year-old, so poor fella. Like, it must have been cold. They probably didn't film it in summer. Let's say that. Mm. Oh, dear. Uh, for Artie's severe burn sequence, the actor was propped up on a fake floor and underneath, liquid gelatin was pumped through the blisters, giving the impression that they are pulsating. Great effect, especially for the budget. Great, great effect. Uh, and the hive death scene, a dummy was made of Billy and a sugar mixture was applied to the face to draw the bees to it. So again, that looks really good. Really invested well in that in the movie. <clears throat> and the body count is 13. So, God, I'm losing my voice here. This is the longest episode we've ever done. This is the officially the longest episode and I feel like it's warranted because of how much there is to talk about of this movie without a doubt there is so much to discuss so that wraps up sleepaway camp i hope you all enjoyed it this was as i said one of the most requested movies we've had so many requests for this movie so to kick off 2021 we had to do it sleepaway camp and uh, i hope that we did it justice because it was great fun to do this one there's so much to talk about but i can't wait for next week when we're going to talk sleepaway camp 2 the pamela springsteen takes over as Angela, one of the greatest slasher movies ever made, in my opinion. So go and watch that this week. We'll get to that next week. Um, and yeah, so if you haven't done so already, everyone, make sure to go and give us a like on Facebook, Slasher Street Podcast on Facebook. Also, wherever you're listening to us, wherever you are, whether it's Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, if it has the function to leave us a review and a rating, please, please do. A five-star rating would be awesome. Four-star would be good. Anything below that, yeah, we'll see. But, you know, hopefully it's good enough that you feel to give us a five-star rating, which would be massively appreciated. And if you have the time, please do leave us a review um, because I would love to see your feedback, as I always say. And the more people who review, the more people who rate it, the more 
Uh, people will eventually see the podcast because we get higher up on the charts on iTunes. We're always on the horror movie review section on iTunes now. It's fucking awesome. Thank you so much, everyone, as I said earlier on. Um, so, yeah, it's awesome that people are always listening, always in touch, always in touch with us about new movies and stuff. So, really appreciate it. But, yeah. Do leave us a review. Also, something I don't really plug enough, we do have a store, an online store, where you can get t-shirts, hoodies, phone cases, face masks. Hopefully, they won't be needed for much longer. Now we have a vaccine out there, but face masks are there. Uh, Beach towels, jumpers, vests. It's all on there. I'm actually wearing my Slasher Street Podcast t-shirt right now. Some good swag. It's really well made. It's really nice. Nice and airy. So yeah, go and check it out. The link to the store is in the show notes. Really quick delivery worldwide, I believe. Um, I literally ordered this on a Saturday. I think it was here by the Thursday. So really good. Really quick delivery all over. So go and check that out. Uh, And yeah, I think that wraps everything up nicely. So we will see you all next week for Sleepaway Camp 2. Again, if you have any movie that you want to review, want me to review on the podcast, please drop us a message at Slasher Street Podcast. I'll be more on um, on the Facebook. I'll be more than happy to review it. Um, every, I think most of the movies that people have requested we have done. Uh, I think there's still one or two to do, which we're going to definitely fit into this year. But this one was so highly requested, it had to be done fairly early on. A great movie to kick off 2021. So yeah, that wraps everything up, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. I will see you all next week. And in the meantime, there's only one thing left to do, and that is to stay scared. <laughs> Eyes are deceiving me. What you see is real. What's done is done, and what I've done is right. It's the work of science. Yeah.